Welcome to Bible study. This is Nick Krita, your host. Thank you for tuning in. It's always our pleasure to welcome you to the program and we're inviting you to stay with us and grab a Bible, open the Bible with us if you can. We are still in the book of uh, Genesis. Today we talk about Jacob and I would like to welcome our panel and I'll say uh, good to have you with us, Len. Hello, listeners, and welcome to the program today, and thank you for the welcome also, Nick. Good to have you with us, Joe, too. Well, thank you, Nick. It's wonderful to be here yet again. Will, thank you for joining. Again, I feel I'm in good company. Thank you, Nick. And Lija, thank you for being part of this, too. I feel very blessed. Thank you. Ken. Thank you for having you with us, particularly while you prepare this um, Bible study. And uh, you are going to take us through to facilitate this discussion. Uh, Welcome to the program. Thank you, Nick. And it's always a privilege to be here. It's such a wonderful experience. We learn so much going through these wonderful stories in the Bible. Well, listeners, we now pick up on the continued family history of Isaac the miracle child and early ancestor of the promised seed. The story doesn't start out particularly well, however. The flawed character of his son Jacob will be manifested in the rivalry between the two brothers over the birthright, and consequently over the right to obtain the blessing of Isaac. But before we really get into this, Will, would you open in prayer for us? Certainly. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, As we review the life of Jacob today, we pray that we will be bold and accepting of the life lessons that you wish to teach us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Will. Let's start where Isaac is praying to God because Rebekah has not had any children. The Lord hears his prayer and answers with some amazing events. Len, Would you take us through what happens as recorded in Genesis 25, verses 21 to 26? Yes. Um, Before I do, though, there appears to be a bit of a family history of wives being barren. Sarah, Abraham's wife, was barren for many years. And now we come to Rebecca, and she too is barren, and apparently for more than seven years, She could not conceive a child. So I'm reading from the New International Version from Genesis 25 to uh, chapter 25, verses 21 to 26. And this is what the Bible says. Isaac prayed to the Lord on behalf of his wife because she was barren. The Lord answered his prayer and his wife, Rebekah, became pregnant. The babies jostled each other within her and she said, Why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord and the Lord told her, Two nations are in your womb and two peoples from within you will be separated. One people will be stronger than the other and the older will serve the younger. When the time came for her, To give birth, there were twin boys in her womb. The first to come out was red, and his whole body was like a hairy garment. So they named him Esau. 
After this, his brother came out with his hand grasping Esau's heel. So he was named Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when Rebekah gave birth to them. So there's the story. She was barren. Isaac prayed. And uh, God answered their prayer. Now, I just want to say something here first. I've prayed for certain people for years and years and years. And it appears that the Lord hasn't answered my prayer. However, it doesn't matter. God's time is God's time, not our time. And we, regardless of what happens, should pray. And Isaac prayed, and then Rebecca prayed, and the Lord answered her. And this is the beginning of a very significant event in the history of mankind, particularly as it relates to the Middle East. There were two nations coming from these two babies, and we'll deal with that shortly. So that's the scene there, Ken. Thank you, Leon Leacher. I would like to mention that uh, uh, they waited uh, for Rebecca to remain pregnant about 20 years yeah. uh, because it says in uh, chapter 25, verse 20, that Isaac was 40 years when he married Rebecca. And uh, when Rebecca gave birth, he was 60 years. So to wait 20 years for an answer of prayer, that is such a, you should have such a strong faith, 20 years. I mean, uh, it's true that um, their longevity was uh, longer than ours now. But, you know, this is a lesson for me. Sometimes we need prompt answers to our prayers, but God has his own time, not like our time. Yes, that's so true. What an amazing story and prophecy. Joe, as these boys got older, in what ways were they different? And what did Isaac and Rebecca think of them? Well, just relating to the previous question, Ken, it was amazing that, you know, it says that Rebecca, she went to inquire of the Lord. Isn't that wonderful that, you know, she was concerned. She didn't go to you know, some other source. She didn't try to take matters into her own hands. She actually went to the Lord and inquired of the Lord because she was concerned about what was happening to her. Um, and I think this is a great example to us, isn't it? That if we have concerns, not to take matters into our hands, but to go and see the Lord about it. Now, as for how were the boys different? Well, in Genesis 25 verses 27 to 28, it says that, so the boys grew and Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, but Jacob was a mild man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebecca loved Jacob. Well, as we know, they were different at birth. They certainly looked different. And I'm sure they were both cherished by their parents. But as they grew, they started to develop their own characters. Esau, a man, a man's man, if you like, a hunter, man of the field, strong, smelling of the forest, loved to go off by himself. Maybe he had a preference for doing fun things, you know, hunting, all this physical, like if he was around today, he might be into camping and hiking and hunting. 
and we have Jacob. It says it's a mild man, and I, I don't take that to be insipid and weak, but one who preferred to take on responsibilities around the management of the servants, the buying and selling of stock, running the camp as his father grew older, taking on more and more responsibility. And I guess the most important characteristic was um, his love of spiritual things. I think he really, really, that really mattered a lot to him. Okay, so Rebecca preferred Jacob. We know that Isaac preferred Esau because of his athletic abilities, the fact the Bible says he enjoyed eating the venison, the game that he caught. Rebecca preferred Jacob um, because he was a serious young man who essentially was her right-hand man, the one she could rely on to get things done. Don't forget she was getting old herself. And so they were probably relying, you know, Esau would go off hunting and probably did other things outdoors. But uh, Jacob was really basically running the estate, if you like, because they were both getting old. And, of course, she knew how much the birthright mattered to Jacob, and she felt that he was the one who really deserved it. And so it seems that the birthright mattered to both Rebecca and Jacob. I think they were both on the same spiritual page. However, there's a tendency in the family, isn't there, to take things into their own hands. Nick, Ken and panel, this story, it's an amazing story because, um, you know, God is telling beforehand the outcome, you know, of these two boys. It's a prophecy, as was mentioned there. I'd like to take just a little bit of different um, view of this. And you see, as Joe just mentioned, we use a lot probably because the Bible doesn't really tell us, you know, uh, the background of the life of these boys growing up. But we could probably uh, say, even if we look at, uh, let's say, in our time or in history, if we look back a little bit, we could say that based on this uh, prophecy, it was a lot of, let's say, approach from different views as it is today. With prophecy in particular, people have different uh, views of how that can happen. I'm trying to think of this. Esau now was the firstborn, which was an amazing thing back in those days. Not as much today, probably, but uh, uh, in those days it was a very important thing to be the firstborn. But uh, God foretold them what will be the outcome. And in, just in my um, imagination, I will use this uh, word, uh, I will say probably these boys were trying to to see, I mean, to work out how that can happen. Esau may say, hang on a second, I mean, I'm going to be the servant of my youngest brother, or there's not much difference in between them, like in between me and my brothers, 12 years. And I felt a lot like uh, the youngest one and, and being neglected. But Probably he said, hang on a second, I will trade for this. I mean, he was a hunter. Now, to be a hunter, it's also almost like to be a warrior, you know, to fight, to be strong, to, um, you know, and he was like that. And he acted like the firstborn, which always the firstborn has also a bit of a role of uh, overseeing, if you like, you know, the others. And Jacob, probably he was thinking, in his mind, scratching his head, thinking, hmm, how can I then be greater than my brother? And 
looking at his brother probably and see what he's doing, he was making plans, I will say. He was scratching his head and thinking, how that happened? The reason why I'm saying that, because later on we'll see when the opportunity comes, that Jacob straight away jumped in, asked um, Esau to sell his birthright. But we'll come to that a bit later on. I think it's a very interesting story. I would like to mention the fact that these two boys, they were twins. Uh, it's not related uh, in the Bible if they were identical or not identical, but uh, on the fact of their character, they are totally opposite. So they look different. It's, it says that they look totally different and their characters were totally different. One was a um, skillful hunter. The other one was uh, mild and quiet and stayed home helping his mother with cooking and, you know, chores around the house. Uh, but they were enemies. All their lives, they were really enemies. They, they live in competition, a permanent competition between them. And... Uh, this could be seen by their parents. The fact that uh, we will talk about later that the parents chose uh, favorites, which I'm taking a lesson from here. We shouldn't have favorites. We should love our children all the same uh, way. Well, I think we've certainly covered that well about the differences. So the parents both had favorites. I'm sure this must have caused a few problems in the family as the difference in their characters becomes more noticeable later in their lives. Len. Okay, well, I'm reading from Genesis 25, verse 29 through to the end of the chapter. And it says, Once when Jacob was cooking some stew, Esau came in from the open country famished. He said to Jacob, Quick, let me have some of that red stew. I'm famished. That's why it's also called Edom. Edom actually means red. Jacob replied, First, sell me your birthright. Oh, look, I'm about to die, Esau said. What good is a birthright to me? Jacob said, Swear it to me first. So he swore an oath to him, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank and then got up and left. So there's a conclusion here. Esau despised his birthright. Now I know there are a number of things here I'd like to discuss, but one of them is this. First of all, the differences between Esau and Jacob. I believe Esau had short-term goals. In other words, he was relatively impetuous. And on the other hand, I think Jacob had long-term goals. Now, the question is, the birthright was such an important thing in families. The firstborn son was basically the one who uh, the ageing father gave all the responsibility of caring for the family, gave all his possessions the second-born son or third, they never got what the first-born son did. So why did Jacob ask for the birthright before he gave his starving, famished brother something to eat? Well, I believe, and I think it's reasonable to assume, that Jacob knew 
that even from the time they were born, that he was going to be the dominant child. Because what God said to Rebecca was that the older that happened to be Esau shall serve the younger. And I suspect Jacob spent quite a bit of time thinking about this. How is this going to come about? And here an opportunity came. So he asked for the birthright. And Esau, being somewhat impetuous, didn't have long-term goals, was willing to sell the birthright for a dish of stew. How about that? That's like selling your home and all your property for a loaf of bread. Well, that's how it was in um, reality back then. So because of this, there were all sorts of implications. Now, the question is, why did Jacob go to this point? Wouldn't God have allowed this to happen in his own way and his own time? Well, I believe yes, because God promised. But uh, here again, uh, Jacob, in this case, with the backing of his mother, Rebecca, took matters into their own hands. And what a lot of trouble it caused back then and what a lot of trouble it's caused since. Joe? I think that last phrase, the last sentence of what Lynn read from his passage, it says, thus Esau despised his birthright. You know, we all have a birthright. Everyone has a birthright. And how do we value that birthright? Do we, like Esau, show little regard? Do we show contempt? Do we value it? It says in First Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Every person who's ever lived has a birthright, had a birthright, and we too. And so we need to not despise it like Esau, but to cherish it just like Jacob. That's that's what he was worried about. He wasn't worried about the double portion that Esau might get. He really wanted to be the spiritual guardian, the leader, the the shepherd, the the pastor of his um the pastor of his tribe, his clan, his people group. And so we too can learn a lesson from this. Do we keep the most important things in their proper place or do we let other things crowd it out? And and just very quickly on that, Joe, I like that you pointed out that we, you know, including uh, ourselves here, we are uh, um, in the same position. And even more important as Christians, being born again, you know, we have this um, role, if you like, to really do the right thing. Because in the Bible says, and I'm tr- I was trying to think top of my head where it is, uh, says in the Bible, be careful. I mean, watch. Temptation is at your door. But you, you watch out. You know, you resist the temptation because that may come. And that was the case with Esau. Temptation was coming there, you know, through that uh, stew. We as Christians, we may go to temptations, different things, but we need to remember one thing, that we have that right of the firstborn, if you like, or the 
born again. I think we should take a lesson also on that and um, not to be so neglectful. Yeah, we have an inheritance. Yes. We have an eternal inherit- inheritance. Yes, that's right. The uh, promises made to Abraham and confirmed to his son were held by Isaac and Rebekah as a great object of their desires and hopes. With these promises, Esau and Jacob were familiar. They were taught to regard their birthright as a matter of great importance, for it included not only an inheritance of worldly wealth, but spiritual preeminence. He who received it was to be the the priest of his family, and in the line of his posterity, the redeemer of the world would come. Now, I think it's important to note that Jacob was described as a mild man. Is there some significance about this? Will, can you explain this one? Ken, yes. So far, we've covered the characteristics of the sons of Isaac uh, well. But let me just add, Jacob and Esau, the twin sons of Isaac, present a striking contrast, both in character and in life. And this unlikeness, similarity, was foretold by the angel of the Lord before their birth. When in answer to Rebekah's troubled prayer, he declared that uh, the two sons would be given, two sons would be given her, and he opened to her their future history, that each one would become the head of a mighty nation, and that one would be greater than the other, and that the younger would have the preeminence. Now Esau grew up loving self-gratification, and he centered all of his interests in the present. And, you know, impatient of restraint, this Esau delighted in the wild freedom of the chase and early chose the life of a hunter. Yet he was the father's favorite. Isaac, the father, himself a quiet and peace-loving shepherd, was attracted by the daring and the vigor of this elder son, who fearlessly ranged over mountain and desert, returning home with game for his father and with exciting accounts of his adventurous life. Jacob, however, thoughtful, diligent and caretaking, ever thinking more of the future than the present, was content to dwell at home, occupied in the care of the flocks and the working of the soil, and his patient perseverance and thrift and foresight were valued by the mother. And it appears Jacob's affections were deep and strong and his gentle, unremitting attentions added more, far more, to her happiness than did the boisterous and occasional kindnesses of Esau. To Rebekah, Jacob was the dearer son. And the Bible says that he was mild. I want you to remember that um, that there is an indication in the Bible that God regards honesty and integrity higher than any other qualities. In Job 8 verse 20 it says, Look, God will not reject a person of integrity, nor will he lend a hand to the wicked. And speaking later of Noah, Noah was a just man, perfect in his generations, because Noah walked with God. It seems as if Jacob chose the safer path and uh, took care of his heritage and his future 
as Joe has already indicated. Well, when we look at Esau, we see a different character for sure. One so important it is even mentioned in the New Testament. Nick, would you take us through this one? Yes, Ken, um, you mentioned the New Testament, and it's a beautiful passage actually in the book of Hebrew, and um, we can link this very well actually with the study today. Um, and just let me share with you a few verses from uh, Hebrew chapter 12. Started at verse 14, which says, Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many became defiled, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. And here is where in the New Testament it mentions actually the character of Esau. And uh, we talked about how he defiled, you know, that birthright. And um, he, he suffered consequences because of that, even though God promised to his mother, you know, that two great nations will come out of you. Probably if he would have, if he will um, not go that way, who knows what God's plan could be, you know, both of them to be two great nations, in which way I cannot say now because it's not much information in the Bible. But it says here that uh, Esau, who for one morsel of food, sold his birthright. And here is a very interesting passage in the Bible in, in Hebrew, which will apply for us all. For you know that afterwards, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with tears. And, you know, we don't like to say this these days too often, saying that we may run out of grace. That's interesting, eh? Because uh, in this passage actually says that Esau, he ran out of grace. Even though he wanted to repent and, and ask God diligently to bless him. I mean, ask his father in particular at that time, is there no a blessing for me? Is there not any blessing left for me? What I would like to take out of here, Ken and panel, is that we really need to be responsible. We have a great, great call to be in God's family, you know, to be God's children. And we are here with also a responsibility. As these two young men were, they have responsibility there. Uh, unfortunately, they kind of stuffed it up a little bit. By the way, we were mentioned that uh, he was named Edom. And uh, I think Len just alluded very briefly that there was, since then, there was quite trouble in between these two nations. You know that Edom, they um, lived in the highest places of uh, Jordan. You may know if you look in history, they were uh, living in, in that region of beautiful Petra. If you visited those places in, uh, in Jordan, uh, the Edomites, they were living in those places. And you know that, just one little thing here, Alexander the Great, who conquered the world in a very speedy 
time, you know, and he cried out, there is not anything left there to conquer. Do you know that Alexander the Great was not able to conquer Petra? But it's interesting, there is a prophecy where God says about that, it's not time for us to go now in there today. But God actually rebuked the Edomites because they were proud of themselves, that they they live in those places and they were warriors and they were very powerful people. And you see, God had some plans with Esau, but unfortunately, he was too full of maybe arrogance and his descendants carried on the same thing. And in the end, they were destroyed. You never hear about Edomites today. They are not anymore. There are other nations which since from those times, they, we still have remainings, you know, but no Edomites. Yeah, I believe this is very uh, important for us to consider our call and the right to be the child of God. What a responsibility not to treat it lightly. I think this is a very clear warning here for all of God's people. We need to be careful what we do each day and to remember to seek forgiveness for those things we do wrong, as mentioned in Proverbs 28 and verse 13. Whoever conceals his transgressions will not prosper, but he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Now, there are some important insights shown in this plan of deception against Esau, as told in Genesis 27, verses 1 to 17. Will, would you take us through this one? Yes, Ken, I think it would be best for me to just read it from Scripture. It says um, in Genesis 27, from verse 1, Now it came to pass when Isaac was old, and his eyes were so dim that he could not see, that he called Esau, his older son, to him and said, My son. And he answered, Here I am. Then he said, Behold, now I am old. I do not know the day of my death. Now, therefore, please take your weapons, your quiver and your bow, and go out into the field and hunt game for me, and make a savory food, a savory dish, uh, such as I love, and bring it to me that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Now, Rebecca was listening when Isaac spoke to Esau, his son. And Esau went to the field and to hunt game and to bring it. So Rebekah spoke to Jacob, her son, saying, Indeed, I heard your father speak to Esau, your brother, saying, Bring me game and make savory food for me, that I may eat it and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, Obey my voice according to what I command you. Go now to the flock. Bring me from thence two choice kids of the goats, and I will make savory food from them for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall take it to your father, that he may eat it, and that he may bless you, bless you before his death. Jacob said to Rebekah his mother, Look, Esau, my brother, is a hairy man, and I am smooth-skinned. Perhaps my father will feel me, and I shall seem to be a deceiver to him, and I shall bring a curse on myself and not a blessing. But his mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go, get them for me. 
And he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food, such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the choice clothes of her eldest son Esau, which were in the house, and put them on Jacob, her older son. And so she put the skins of kids of the goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. Then she gave the savory food and the bread, which she had prepared, into the hand of Jacob, of her son Jacob. Well, Ken and panel and listener, here we find a terrible deception. Jacob's mother, Rebecca, is behind all of this deceit and planned it all out. And the question might be asked, why didn't Jacob just say no? But he goes along with it, knowing that it would result in serious consequences for the family, especially Esau and, in fact, himself. But, of course, the story gets a little more tragic after that, and I think the panel will be able to chat on that. Well, this certainly is a major deception. Joe, what happens then when Esau came in with his food for Isaac? Well, the Bible tells us that um, in verse 30 of the same chapter 27, now it happened as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. And he also went through the process of making um, delicious stew and brought it to his father and said, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that your soul may bless me. And, of course, Isaac is at this stage very shocked. It says the Bible says that he trembled exceedingly and says, who, where is the one who hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate all of it before you came and I have blessed him. And indeed he shall be blessed. Now, I think Esau at this stage realizes what's happened. And when he heard these words, he, he became very upset and uh, bitterly cried. And he says, Father, you know, bless me, me also, oh, my father. And, of course, the pennies dropped for um, Isaac as well. And he says, your brother came with deceit and has taken away your blessing. And, of course, then Esau goes on to say in verse 36, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has supplanted me these two times. Now, we know that Jacob was rather, um, well, he didn't trick him into giving him, you know, selling the birthright. He said, sell it to me. Here's the, the lentil stew. If you, um, and, but I'll give it to you if you, you know, sell me your birthright. And it was a shonky deal, but at least um, here Esau was not cheated out of it. He willingly gave it. And we know the other passages of the Bible that say that he sell, sold his birthright because he despised it. He had no value. He was a secular-minded man. And so, so he says, well, have you, you know, bless me anyway. Um, he took away my birthright. And now, look, he's taken away my blessing. Have you not reserved a blessing for me? And, of course, the father thinks, well, you know, what else can I say? And so he pronounces, behold, your dwelling shall be of the fatness of the earth and of the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live and you shall serve your brother. Oh, horrible words. And it shall come to pass when you become restless that you shall break his yoke from your neck. So there's a little bit of hope there for Esau. But like Nick has just mentioned, um, Edomites don't exist anymore. 
Um, you know, Egypt, there are Egyptians, there are still Israelites, there are other nations, the Lebanese, you know, they, the Phoenicians are still there. However, the Edomites have disappeared. And, um, you know, in, in the last verse here, it says, so Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father blessed him. And Esau said in his heart, and not only in his heart, he must have whispered it to other people, the days of mourning of, for my father at hand. And when my father dies, then I will kill my brother Jacob. And we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens of these blessings. <laughs> I think we've heard that. Oh, well, we'll, we'll hear is, about it in the future. <laughs> well, this is not a good situation to find yourself no. in. Nick, no. how, how does Jacob hear about this threat and what does he do? As we mentioned before, can, um, there was tension in between uh, these two brothers and in, in the family. Uh, but uh, war broke out. Uh, after this, uh, definitely Esau was looking for any opportunity to really sort out this mess. And uh, again, the advice of um, uh, the mother there, it seems like that uh, Rebecca, she was very, you know, into this. She had all the plans laid out there to do certain things. But this, in this case, I mean, Definitely, she was uh, putting together a good plan, I will say, because she really needs to act quickly and uh, her son to, to listen to her and to depart from that place. And um, if we continue um, to read, you know, in uh, Genesis chapter 27 and from verse 42 onwards, we can learn that the mother advised uh, Jacob quickly to, uh, to depart from there and to go to uh, her family which was quite a distance, you know, to travel from that place and to find, in in a way, a refuge there first, you know, to find refuge. And he did. He listened. He went uh, all the way to to Heron, where uh, where um, the brother of of his mother was living with his family there, and um, to find refuge there. If I could just. Read this uh, passage, uh, verse 45. And it says here, until your brother's anger turns away from you and he forgets what you have done to him, then I will send and bring you from there. Why should I be bereaved also of you both in one day? You see, if we try to put yourself in the in the shoes of this mother, when she saw all the developments in her family and particularly with her child children, humanly, you know, looking at this, I can understand that that she was really traumatized and and fearful of what may come out. As I mentioned a bit earlier, I'm the youngest of uh, three, and the, the oldest two brother. It's only eleven months in between them, and uh, they grew together almost like you know like. And oh, my mother used to tell me when I grew up, said that how they used to fight. And she was many times, you know, thinking, oh, these guys will kill one day, will kill each other, you know, one day. I mean, they grew up uh, well and uh, we got along uh, of that. But I put myself in the picture of Jacob many times because I said I was the youngest and I could not see anything there in the family that I will be, I will have a role or I'll be important somehow. I was always the youngest and stay there uh, on a side. And this triggered me to leave home when I was 14 years old 
And I did all sorts of things to equip myself to face my brothers. And particularly one of them, which was the the oldest one, which lived in the house. The other one left home actually himself. And, and you know, I did all sorts of things. I equipped myself, even trained myself that I will be able to fight my brother. Maybe that was not a good way, you know, but this is what it is in ourselves to survive, to be important. And I thank God that uh, God called me like he did with Jacob, not to run into those temptations, even though we we had quite a few challenges in between even myself and my eldest brother. But we came together at the most difficult times and we sort out the differences in between us. What I was trying to say here, uh, Ken and panel, is that plans are okay when we make plans, but how much more important will be if we'll allow God to be the center of our plans rather than we to take uh, the plans in our own hands because that will bring consequences, uh, lots of consequences. And we can see in this case um, how troublous times came upon all of them in the family. So more problems for Jacob. He has to leave home and travel over 700 kilometers to stay with his in-laws. But another twist to this event happens. Leecha, what is it? As we read in Genesis uh, chapter 28, verse 1 and 2, Jacob was initiated by his mother again to leave home uh, to find a wife for himself, not from the Hittite women that are living in the land, but to go to his uh, family's part and uh, initially to run away from home to to avoid these problems between the the brothers. And as he was getting tired of the traveling, going to uh, Padan Aram, he just fell asleep uh, in a place and he had a dream. And in the dream, he saw a ladder that was reaching uh, from the bottom of the earth to the to the heaven and uh, god was speaking to him and uh, when jacob awoke from his sleep uh, he said surely the lord is in this place and i was not aware of it and he was afraid and he said how awesome is this place this is none other than the house of god this is the gate of heaven so jacob took the stone that he was under his head and set up as a pillar and poured oil on top of it. And he called the place Bethel, though the city used to be called Luz. So over there, Jacob made a vow and saying that if God will be with me and will watch over me on this journey, I am taking and will give me food to eat and clothes to wear so that I return safely to my father's house, then the Lord will be my God. And this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. And all and of all that you give me, I will give you a tent. Well, Jacob must have thought things were getting better. Not only has he got his father's blessing, but now God has appeared to him in a dream, telling him of more blessings he will receive. However, Jacob's problems are not yet over. When he stays with Laban, 
Jacob sees he has two daughters, Leah and Rachel. He is instantly attracted to Rachel and wants to marry her. However, he finds out there's a price or agreement to be fulfilled before this can happen. Laban wants Jacob to work for him for seven years before he will give his daughter Rachel to him. Jacob agrees and starts working for Laban for seven years. However, when the seven years are up, something unexpected happens. Then would you summarize what takes place here? Okay, the problem was there were two girls. The older one was Leah. She had beautiful eyes. And there was um, Rachel, who was very pretty. And, of course, Jacob worked those seven years to gain the hand of Rachel, a sort of a dowry, I suppose you'd call it. The wedding night came along and um, all the festivities occurred and after the um, feasts were over, Jacob took his bride to bed and woke up in the morning and found out it was the wrong sister. Jacob, who deceived his father, was now being deceived by the father of Leah and Rachel. Um, In the morning after the uh, deception was discovered, Jacob went to his father-in-law, Laban, and he said, hey, what's going on here? I, I worked these seven years to gain the hand of your daughter Rachel, and you've tricked me. Well, the upshot of it was that he agreed to work another seven years tending Laban's flocks for the hand of Rachel. Well, there's a lot of ins and outs going on here. But as I said before, the deceiver was deceived. Well, Jacob now knows what it feels to be on the end of deception. Although it's his pain only lasted 14 years, whereas Esau lost his father's blessing forever. However, it also affected Leah, his first wife, as she was not in love with her, as he was not in love with her, and only married her to get to Rachel. So Leah had a sad life as she always felt unloved and unwanted. But she did have three sons. Rachel, on the other hand, did not have any children until 14 years later when her first son, Joseph, arrived. So eventually, after 20 years of working for Laban, Jacob decides to leave as Laban's family has turned against him, but has now learned to wait on the Lord so it does not go until God tells him. Len, can you summarize the story as recorded in Genesis 31 and verse 1 to 3? All right. Well, during his time with Laban, Jacob worked faithfully and diligently. He did nothing wrong. He was deceived, but he he was, you would say, he was a good man. Chapter 31, and I know there's so much stuff we've passed over. Chapter 31, the first couple of voices, Jacob heard that Laban's sons were saying, Jacob has taken everything our father owned and has gained all his wealth. What belonged to our father? Jacob noticed that Laban's attitude toward him was not what it had been. Here's the key. Then the Lord said to Jacob, Go back to the land of your fathers and to your relatives, and I will be with you. 
Here the Lord was telling him, all right, you've served your uh, time here in the area of Hanan, uh, Heron. Go back to Canaan and I will be with you. I think that was very encouraging for him. And listeners, I think it should be encouraging for us. We have to go through all sorts of stuff, just as Jacob did. And if we commit our lives to the Lord, his promise is the same to us as it was back then. I will be with you. Well, panel, what's your thoughts in this story? Okay, I guess um, a lesson here is that um, I think it was mentioned that the deceiver was deceived. However, I guess God allowed that to happen because Jacob needed to learn. He needed to understand what it was like to be deceived, to understand that this was not a good way to be and that this was something in his character that needed to be um, to be changed, to be remodeled. He needed to be um taught and so i think he suffered a fair bit didn't he at the hands of laban if we read the story in its entirety but um it's it's a lesson that he really needed to learn yes uh what i want to to add here also now we can see the results of all those human plans starting with uh, jacob you know and uh, with his mother and then himself uh, being deceived by his relatives here. If I could take a lesson home today is wait patiently for the Lord. Wait patiently for the Lord. Whatever may come in your life, it may not seem like uh, the best things for you, but if you are patient with the Lord, God knows exactly what we need. And God will fulfill his promises in the right time for us all. I believe uh, we run into a lot of troubles even today, even in the church, even in, as Christians, because of jumping ahead of God's plan. You know, here we have a lesson today from uh, this family, which we can call it a dysfunctional family. Even though God had great plans and he achieved his plans through the seed of Jacob. Because we know now to the, the 12 tribes of Israel, as we know them, that comes from Jacob, even though he was a deceiver. But uh, it was tough in his life. He suffered a lot. One thing I would like to mention here, and if we look back in the Bible to read a little bit more, when uh, Jacob... He, when he was running away from home, God appeared before him and God presented before him as the God of his fathers, Abraham and Isaac. It's very interesting because we have a bit of inheritance here. But when he came back, Jacob called God, my God. And it's a little bit of reading in between there, which we didn't cover today, but I believe it's a wonderful story to see that God was not giving up on Jacob. This is what I take home myself. I, I too feel that there's a lesson in that no matter how wretched and what wretched, he must have been a feeling 
the worst that one could feel as he traveled to his uncle Laban's place. And, and it's a lesson for us that no matter what you've done and, and how bad you're feeling about what you've done, God never left him. In fact, we know with that um, ladder, the uh, dream of the ladder, God appeared to him and he promised to be with him wherever he went. You know, God does not leave us just because we get ourselves into a mess. If we turn to him and ask for forgiveness, if we ask for his, you know, he'd run ahead of the Lord all that time and yet now he's obviously repenting and God says, look, I know you've done wrong, but I promise that I will be with you wherever you go and I will fulfill all that I have promised. So I guess that's a take home for me. It's like I've, I feel encouraged by this. Well, listeners, we've run out of time again. I just want to finish by saying what a wonderful story about Jacob, his family and his life. We see a young man who commits a very serious crime against his own family with the help of his mother, having to flee to another land with nothing but the clothes on his back. But along the way, God speaks to him in a dream as God can see he is sorry for the wrong he has caused. After many years and two wives, Jacob has become a wealthy man, being blessed by God. We see that he, Jacob, is just like us. He makes mistakes and causes hurt to his family. He has not trusted God at times, but after many lessons, he begins to see that God is trustworthy and keeps his word, no matter how long it takes. Listeners, won't you do the same? Leecha, would you like to close in prayer? Sure. Holy Father in heaven, thank you so much for this interesting lesson of uh, deceiver that we, we went through this today. Father, please bless us with your Holy Spirit to understand your plans in our lives, to trust fully in you, in your leadership in our lives, to wait on your time for the fulfillment of your plans in our lives. Father, help us to learn not to cheat on others, not to be greedy and selfish, but honest and show integrity, to represent your character in the fullness of your beauty as a God of love, persevering with us every step of the way. Father, thank you so much. Please receive our appreciation in Jesus' wonderful, holy name. Amen. 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 Well, uh, thank you so much, everyone, for your participation today. Uh, we are looking forward for the next um, Bible study because we are going to learn a little bit more about uh, Jacob. This time, how he became Israel from um, deceiver to a victorious man. And uh, we're inviting you to join us again next time. Until then, may God richly bless you and continue to walk. In the footsteps of Jesus. I must tell Jesus all of my trials. I cannot bear these burdens alone. In my distress, He Stay.
Tell Jesus. 